I, I really did struggle with like, well, what is punk? Like punk is about being an individual. Like, can I just be myself and be in this punk scene and, and therefore I'm punk? No, because there's all these, like, I have to like fit in. I have to like, it's the same thing. And like, I found in the horror industry because I started working in the horror industry in my early twenties. And I was surrounded by all these people that knew everything about horror. And it's like, everyone's trying to like show that they know the most. And I think you get that in like little clicks of people. So I was always like struggling with that. And then when I was a teenager, I would be hanging out, I'd be going to shows and there, I'd just be like surrounded by dudes. And the whole thing was, oh no, this is the place where you're like allowed to like be free and be yourself and fuck everybody else and whatever. But at the same time, I found that there were all these like constrictions in the circle itself where I wasn't like cool enough or whatever for the group. So I, I do feel that there was this weird clashing that I just like didn't really feel I was able to resolve and I just carried with me until we made the ranger. And then I, after the, after we made it, I was like, oh, okay, I feel much more at peace now. I'm ready to like grow up and move into the next stage of my life where I just don't give a fuck. Could we be crazy and talk about his cutscene, or is that too crazy? His what? His, uh, cause there is two versions of the wolf scene. Oh, okay. Wow. I didn't know wow. that. Let's go. Let's I'd love go. to talk about that. You've talked about it. I <laughs> Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin. Hello. Hello. This week, we are very excited to welcome two special guests to the show, Jen Wexler and Heather Buckley. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thank you both so much for being here. We really appreciate it. We know Jen Wexler as the director, producer, editor, and co-writer of 2018's The Ranger, as well as production on a slew of other feature films, including Depraved, Psychopaths, Most Beautiful Island, Darling, and more. Heather Buckley, of course, also a producer on The Ranger and has worked on films like We Are Still Here, Blood and Flesh, The Real Life, and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson, and about three or 400 other videos. Um, Jen, you are right now, as I understand it, currently in post-production on a brand new feature film called The Sacrifice Game. I know you can't say a whole lot about this yet, and we're both very excited about this. What can you tell us right now about The Sacrifice Game? Um, well, it's a movie that Heather, Heather was a producer on The Ranger. Heather's also a producer on The Sacrifice Game, along with Phil Kalen Haju and Albert Malamed. We shot in Canada last year, and uh, it's been a blast making this movie that I've been uh, uh, dreaming about since 2013 when I wrote the first draft of it. And we're, we're in post and we're almost done and we're really excited to get it out to the world. This was your initial idea, your, your screenplay. I know the Ranger came from a, an idea, a school friend of yours, as far as I un understand it, kind of wrote the, ori the original idea of the Ranger and then you kind of dusted it off with that person years later and rewrote and, and co-wrote the Ranger. So this is just your idea. Well, so here's how it, these these ideas kind of happened because they kind of happened in parallel. In college, my friend Jocko Farino wrote the, we went to screenwriting school together and he wrote The Ranger as his senior thesis. 
And then we graduated and we all like put our screenplays into drawers and we, we didn't look at them because we were all trying to get real jobs and make money and things. I started working for a production company, Glass Eye Picks. I started to learn how to make movies. I wrote a draft of The Sacrifice Game in 2013 and I realized, oh, this is like really big. I can't make this as my first feature. So then... I called Jocko. I thought about the ranger and I called Jocko and I was like, yo, that's a movie that takes place in the woods with like six characters. Can we work on that together? So then, you know, years later, 26, 17, we shoot the ranger. It comes out in 2018. And then after it came out, I was like, I thought about the sacrifice game, which I had written in 2013. I was like, okay, now, you know, I've directed my first feature. I'm excited to make my second feature like now I feel ready to dive into the sacrifice game. So then my now husband and I uh, worked on the script together. I love having, I love having co-writers because <clears throat> writing is a, is a lonely thing and I'm somewhat of a, an extrovert. So I love having like partners that I get to just like team up and dive into the worlds with as we're writing. So then Sean and I, we wrote this, we wrote the sacrifice game and, and then we ended up shooting it last spring. My next question would be, Heather, how did you get into this? I know a lot of Jen's backstory. What is your backstory? Like, how did you get into working in this field and particularly horror? How did you end up in this production world? All right. My backstory, my tragic backstory that made me into a Gotham villain. So many years ago... <laughs> I went to University Arts and Jen went to University Arts, which is very strange, part of the Ranger. Also, Jocko was at University Arts. I was originally a fine artist, very interested in storytelling and movies growing up in horror movies. I loved horror and punk rock since I was 13 years old. I go to University Arts to become a designer. I work in New York City advertising design for 13 years as a creative lead, being in charge of projects, being in charge of groups of people. And then at some place during MySpace, I had Paul Nicolasi reach out to me and want to have me. It's like, oh, you should like, you know, follow Dread Central. And it's like, who are you? I don't know who you are. <laughs> and he lived like 15 minutes from like my Central Jersey house where I grew up in. And we hung out and he goes like, you know a lot about horror. You should meet Uncle Creepy. And so I went to Texas. I met Uncle Creepy. Dread Central asked me to write for them. Fangoria asked me to write for them. I wrote for Diabolique. And for them, I was doing a lot of interviews, hanging out at Film Fest. I was told that like Film Fest actually exists. And that's how I became much more uh, aware of sort of the independent New York City world of Larry, of Jen. The reason I'm in Most Beautiful Island is because I was just like the be my beginning friendship with Jen. And she was like, show up to be an extra. And it's like, of course, punk rock ethos friend asks you show up. And that's how I wound up in Most uh, Beautiful Island. So I transitioned at some point from working at a big uh, advertising shop to film because what was I doing? Um, I think I was at Boston Underground Film Festival and John Fasano said that I needed to leave advertising and go work in film because of my personality type and sort of how I talk about things and pitch things that it's like you would be able it would you could open many doors with your type of personality. And then I've heard that a few times. Because when I was at Fantasia Film Festival, it was, was my day job. It's like, well, I'm a creative lead of an advertising firm. And they're saying, so you're in charge of like multi-million dollar accounts. 
and you also know everyone in the film industry, perhaps you should be a producer. I did uh, shop supervision and FX work on those three films that mentioned, uh, Circus of the Dead, uh, Sci-Fi Channel's Dead Still, which I'm also in as the hidden mother, and then We Are Still Here. And then after that, Travis Stevens was like, oh my God, Heather Buckley, you should think about being a producer. I was in a car with Michael Felsher from Red Shirt Pictures and I'm going, everyone should say I should be a producer. And he said, you should produce DVD supplements. And so I would go on to still this day to produce all these DVD supplements that we have. So it's like the world itself has been bullying me into being a film producer. And so with Jen's movie, it's like Jen says, like, just read the script just because I'm a punk rocker and her friend read the script, make some notes. And then I started to help out. What about bands? What about like these Tumblr images of punk rockers and like Lisa Frank stuff? And then she was like, Heather, do you want to produce this movie? And that's how I produced the Ranger. I read Sacrifice Game where we were hanging out, uh, making the Ranger. And then I became very interested in that because I love Jen's stories about, uh, about sort of, you know, female identity and sort of coming of age stories from her perspective also, because I am from New Jersey, Jen is from New Jersey. So there's some sort of like Jersey vibe and the stuff that she does. And that's how I wound up in film. Oh, okay. You guys are both from Jersey. Okay. Jersey punk rockers who went to University of the Arts. I think Heather has more Jersey pride than I do. I've, I've <laughs> left New Jersey and I haven't looked back, whereas Heather loves New Jersey. It's true. I, I paid extra money for Black Mansion Films to actually do business in New Jersey. So it's a Jersey company. I just bought tickets uh, to see the Gaslight Anthem. Uh, I love Jersey. I love Jersey punk. There's no music other than like like Jersey that's like so earnest. And uh, I guess that probably translates to filmmaking as well. I try to tell people that I have good street cred and then like good, you know, work ethic and stuff like that, that they could check with the New York City punk scene that I'm a stand up kind of person. There's there's certainly a lot of the um, New York City punk scene and Jersey punk that's running all through the Ranger, of course. And, and I want to talk about that. But you mentioned real quick, Heather, you mentioned um, Most Beautiful Island. I love that movie. And Jen, I believe if it correct me if I'm wrong, Most Beautiful Island was your first lead the first film that you were the lead producer on? Yeah, it was my first feature that I produced. Um, and I produced it, you know, Larry Fassenden and um, Chad Harbold produced it with me as well. Anna Asensio, who's directed it and stars in it, she was also a producer on it. Um, but I was my, I, I mean, I was the person, I was line producing, I was like UPMing, um, I was really... Uh, holding the whole thing together so that we could get Anna's vision. And it was an incredible experience, especially like we were very inspired by Larry Fessenden's movie Habit, which I had just started working at Glass Eye Picks. Habit was like one of our jointly mine and Anna's and Chad's. Like we all love this movie. We love Larry. And we all like would just it was like Larry uh, would tell us stories around the campfire of, oh, back in the 90s, this is how we made movies. We ran around with the camera around New York City and our crew only had five people and we would steal shots and all this stuff. And we were just it was like we were just so found it so romantic. So we were like, that's how we're going to approach Most Beautiful Island. And we did. So it was a very uh, guerrilla filmmaking kind of experience that, that's kind of what i what struck me about it was that the the core of the film like the the horror film or the the dark suspense film of it is almost like a a, a very fixed 
location, sort of a one spot, two room thing. But the whole setup for the film is like all around the streets of the city. It's just like you're following people walking. The beginning of the film, it's not even clear initially who the film is about because the camera is sort of focusing on different people on the sidewalk, in the subway station, all that stuff. And I was wondering what that must have been like to have to shoot all this to shoot all this stuff like out in the streets like that must have been kind of wild and, and woolly. I, I really have no idea how you'd go about that. It was especially uh, be- because Anna's in it. So we were very also reliant on Noah Greenberg, our DP. It was really his eye catching everything. And he has a beautiful eye, which is great. And also Anna and Noah had a great collaboration and communicate way about communicating. So they were totally on the same page with each other. But just in terms of shooting all over the city from a producing perspective, it was pretty crazy because, you know, it would be like, oh, we want to go on the subway. And and that's always, by the way, really scary when you're bringing a camera onto the subway, because if you get caught, they can like take your camera from you and then you're just, you're just screwed over. Um, so from a producing perspective, it was like, oh my God, how, I think, I think when we did the subway stuff, we might've used a 5D because we were too scared to use our film camera. So we shot on Super 16 and it really was running around the city, getting all these shots. And, uh, and, and then we had the, the lovely luxury uh, for the second half of the film of being in one place for like a good two weeks or however long it was. But yeah, it was a crazy experience, like a, a crazy like first feature to produce. Um, but it really set me up to have this kind of like indie filmmaking mentality and work, you know, Larry Fessenden is, was such an incredible mentor towards all of us um, as a producer for me, but then also as a director and really emphasized and helped us to see, cause it was Anna's first movie as a director as well, really just helped us to like, like what matters is what's inside the frame. That's what matters. And you, so all the stuff could be going on, but you really just have to focus on what are you capturing inside the frame. And when you just think about storytelling from that perspective, it it helps simplify everything. Speaking of like DP, there's somebody that has done a ton of work with you that I, that I don't think has been out there a lot, but James Seawert, if I'm saying his name right, James Seawert. Yeah. He's done a ton of cinematography on your stuff. He's got an eye. Yeah. So James Seaware is just this like mad visual genius. And I saw some of his short films that were super incredible that he had directed and some things that he had DP'd. And um, he was part of like the Glass Eye community. He hel- He helps out on he has helped out and continues to help out on things like he, he knows VFX. So he does VFX for all these movies. And then when we were getting ready to shoot like me, Robert Mockler's movie, like me, uh, we, were, we were talking to DPs and we were just like, you know, this script and Rob Rob's vision combined with like the kind of crazy stuff that James does, we put them together and they just thrived on each other. They were just like locked in a room with all these like images on the walls, just like coming up with really cool ways to make this movie. And then what's cool about James is that he builds a lot of his own rigs. So like, if you watch Like Me, there's some crazy, rigs that are just things that he built with like the camera doing 180 movements and and crazy stuff and then i 
really got along with James and then um, asked him to DP my movie, The Ranger. And uh, so then he brought his genius over to The Ranger. And then he also worked on Depraved and a couple other Glass Eye movies as well. Like Me strikes me as something that was probably pretty heavy in the editing phase. And I'm curious how much a producer would be involved in a lot of this like post-production editing would have because I loved Like Me. Well, so it was edited by Robert and also one of our producers, Jessalyn Abbott, was also an editor on it. I would say just in general, like when I come onto a project as a producer, it's like, do I, am I attracted to this project because I'm attracted to the vision? Also, do I get along with the director? Like, do we click? And once, yes, I'm signed up and, and we're making the movie together, it's really like, how can I support the director as much as possible? So in terms of, of posts on Like Me, like that was Rob and Jessalyn in a room editing that movie, putting it together. They show us cuts. We, of course, we give our thoughts on the cuts, but like in this space, in this like indie filmmaking space, you're signing up because you're excited by the director's vision. So you wanna support that vision in every stage of the process as much as possible. And ultimately, uh, Like Me is 100% like Rob's vision, Jessalyn's vision, who really was um, working with him throughout the entire process, even before Glass Eye Picks came on. And it's special because, you know, when you have too many cooks, that's when things start to get watered down. Uh, it's special because it belongs to Rob. Heather, I know uh, we were talking about the, the punk element of the Ranger, which is a, about a, a bunch of punks who uh, some stuff goes down at a, at a big punk warehouse party and concert, and they have to flee to the woods to hide out for a little bit. Kind of reminded me of The Outsiders. I don't know if you guys are familiar with The Outsiders, but that whole like going to the cabin and hiding out from the heat or whatever has kind of made me think of that. Um, Heather, first of all, would you consider the Gaslight Anthem a Jersey punk band? No, they're emo. No, I didn't think so. Anyway, um, I know on. that you. Come I know on. That, we I want to talk that, about the Misfits if we want to talk about <laughs> Jersey Punk. I know that. I know. So I know that for that that opening um, sequence of the Ranger that you actually called in a bunch of authentic New York City punk bands and you actually threw a a punk party. Um, I thought one of the interesting things about the way punk is approached in the Ranger is I felt like a lot. There's a tendency now. Especially if you if punk was a part of you, I can't say I'm a punk or ever was a punk, but it was a big part of my growing up with music. It was very into a lot of the punk stuff, and Doesn't I feel like that the, make you punk. Like if you like punk and you're authentically right. sort of have like that sort of very individualistic energy, and yeah, true and community and what's real. I mean, that's all it takes to participate yeah. in punk. Meta Goodwin, who put together our soundtrack, because uh, I um I was pretty late when I started going punk shows. I was in college. And he said, no, the second you listen to punk, that you're participating in the scene. Okay. All right. Album, cool. Well, first album. So maybe, maybe you're a punk. Maybe I maybe you I'm have a punk. super New York hardcore glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what that's kind of one of the things that I thought was interesting about the way it's approached in the Ranger is that now, like I feel like the further we get away from the the beginning of punk in time, everybody kind of wants to, and maybe this goes along with what you're saying, everybody kind of seems to want to assign whatever meaning they take out of punk and say that that's the real punk or that's the true punk. Every Everybody has their own idea of what it was and what it is and what it should be. And I thought it was interesting in the Ranger that it seemed to be presented as 
sort of a dichotomy, which is kind of the way that I think of punk. There's always been, to me, sort of a dichotomy of like a very uh, forward thinking and very inclusive and very sort of progressive side of punk. And then like more of a, um, a bit of a more of a reactionary side and a bit more of a almost like libertarian side. You've got live free or die on the side of the van there, which we're we're in Maine. I don't know if you guys know that's the the New Hampshire state motto. But, we, but I did, did you know that? I didn't know that, and I was like, I don't care. I'm putting it on there anyway. <laughs> well, it's cool though because they mean it. New Hampshire means it like a Pat Buchanan live free or die, like it's a more menacing libertarian thing. Heather, was that in your mind at all when you guys were working on the Ranger, like presenting any sort of dichotomy of punk, or am I overthinking it? No, I'll give you, I'll give you like my, my, I'll, I'll, I'll school you on the punk rock version of it. So Jen and I are Jersey punks. I think Jen, you correct me if I'm wrong. You spent most of your time going to shows in New Jersey. Yes. I was in high school. What about Philly when you were in school? A little bit. I went to Philly a little bit. Yeah. So I went to shows in Philadelphia when I was at university arts. And then most of my time, because I had a very bad sense of direction and I couldn't find city gardens. I spent a lot of my times at Coney Allen high and at CBGB's hanging out. So when I think about when I first read the script of the Ranger, I was like, how did you people know how we were? Because also Jocko's punk, because a lot of it is it's to me, punk is regional more than anything else. So this movie is about sort of, it takes place in dreamland, but the kind of vibe of like the ball busting, making fun of each other, you know, that the people who are heckling the band the most on stage are their best friends down there. So everybody's taking jabs of each other. So it's that very funny, irreverent side of punk rock in that movie. There's the specific gear that they have on, which is a little bit more British. New York city has more of a, a a British kind of look. I myself, like I have my Bihawk long coats and I wear like my like fetish gear and stuff like that. Very inspired by like 77 London kind of look. So when I read the script, it was about it. It was about a bunch of friends who are pains in the asses and ball bust each other who like listen to the music and who are just sort of like wild. That's how I perceived the punk rockers um, in the movie. Again, with, through this regional lens of how they interact with each other and sort of, you know, also Jen wanted very iconic clothing and so she picked out it's like this is everybody's gear and of course like we i use the word gear a lot which is only used in new york city and britain to talk about like their punk outfits also a lot of the ranger has to do with my like struggle from you know being a teenager and then going into my early 20s of like well what what i i really did struggle with like well what is punk like punk is about being an individual like, can I just be myself and be in this punk scene and and therefore I'm punk? No, because there's all these like, I have to like fit in. I have to like, I have to like know about all these bands. I feel like everybody's like dropping, uh, what's it called when you like, you casually drop whatever I was at this show. It's the same thing in like, I found in the horror industry because I started working in the horror industry in my early twenties for a, t a horror TV channel. And I was surrounded by all these people that knew everything about horror. And it's like, everyone's trying to like show that they know the most. And I think you get that in like little clicks of people. So I was always like struggling with that. And then when I was a teenager, I would be hanging out, I'd be going to shows and there, I'd just be like surrounded by dudes. And the whole thing was, oh no, this is the place where you're like allowed to like be free and be yourself and fuck everybody else and whatever. But at the same time, I found that there were all these like constrictions in the circle itself where I wasn't like cool enough or whatever for 
the group. So I, I do feel that there was this weird clashing that I just like didn't really feel I was able to resolve. And I just carried with me until we made the Ranger. And then I, after the, after we made it, I was like, oh, okay, I feel much more at peace now. I'm ready to like grow up and move into the next stage of my life where I just don't give a fuck. There's elements of the Ranger. And I just think from like your entire catalog, Jen, uh, and the whole punk rock conversation, Green Room is one for me that like when I watched the Ranger, I was like, okay, I'm getting Green Room vibes from this. But I also want to go back to like some of the early horror movies that you said inspired you, which are some pretty like not punk rock movies, you know, like Scream or I Know What You Do Last Summer. So when I watched The Ranger, I got like Green Room vibes and I got like Backcountry and Deliverance, like all of this coming in together. How did those all come together for you? And what are some of your real true inspirations I appreciate the green room comp I think personally green room came out when I was like I had already written the script and I had already had my own um, outlook about what I wanted to do with this I think green room was like 2015 or something 2016 I think green room is handled in a way different way like they're like this is like realistic world and whereas with the ranger we were we wanted it to have a sense of artifice to it. I wanted it to feel like Return of the Living Dead or like Creep Show. I wanted it yeah. to feel like a comic book. I wanted it to feel like larger than life, 80s stuff. Those were the comps. Whereas I think with Green Room, I don't know, it just feels when I watched it, I just felt like it felt way more real and like embraced naturalism in, in a different kind of way. And then I like, yeah, I grew up in the late 90s teen slasher craze like that was my when I was coming of age so scream I know we did last summer urban legend the faculty disturbing behavior all those movies I carry them with me to to this day like I I view the world through those movies and through that very specific time that's very specific moment when I was just like of go like starting to go through puberty and just like obsessed that this was like my outlet to this was my like oh this is what adulthood is is getting to watch these kinds of movies i don't know i'm like 10 or 11 years old at this time um and then you know i i am inspired by the the classics uh like rosemary i mean not that the ranger has any rosemary's baby or exorcist or suspiria vibes at all um, except maybe we have some pink and blue in the uh, convenience store scene, but I wouldn't say Suspiria was a reference, but all these movies I like carry with me all the time. I don't know, as a director, even right now I'm I'm location scouting for a new project. And as I'm doing it, like I'm just constantly going through the library of movies in my mind. And you think about the current script you're working on and you're just like, okay, well, how is it? What if I look at the movie from this angle? What if I look at it through this lens? What if I, you're you're always thinking about how to bring all your influences together and to put them together in new ways that is still like very much you and, and reflecting like who you are and what you want to like give to the world. Well, Jen, I've heard you talk about the first time you saw Scream and I've heard you talk about horror movies being kind of a, a refuge for you when you were younger, feeling 
but out of place or like an outcast or there wasn't a defined easy sort of click or niche for you growing up and that the horror movies and, and punk rock kind of did that for you. And I had a very similar experience. Um, what was it about when you when you saw the the guts hanging out uh, on Scream that had such an effect? What do you think it was about? Because a lot of kids are outcasts and they don't necessarily cotton to horror movies and punk rock and stuff like that like we did. What, what do you think it was about that 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 became your thing instead of, I don't know, like collecting stamps or like getting into dolls or something like that? What was it about the horror do you think that connected with you? I think it was a mix of things. I think my mom is is a very um, like traditional kind of person. My mom, I remember specifically like my mom. I, I you might have heard me talk about this, but like my mom and the other my friend's mom were like, "Can you believe this movie? Like, it's so big." And then so you know, just classic rebellion. I was like, I have to see this movie that like my parents don't want me to watch. Uh, and then from when I was like five years old. I remember watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? And it was just this like very special thing. It was like me and the TV and these ghost stories. And I don't know, really, whatever the brain chemistry is, it really hit in that place that like ran up my adrenaline. So I just, since being a very young child was into scary stuff. And then, cause I changed schools when I was 12 and didn't have friends in my new school, it became my thing because all the other, you know, everybody else had their sports teams, their more normal ways of spending their afternoons. And my thing became like, oh, well, I get to like be here with these horror movies and it makes me special. It makes me different. It was kind of a rebellion from just like being normal or like fitting in. I don't know why it happened the way it did, but but it did happen that way. Heather. You've done so many things. When are you going to get behind the camera? Is that something that uh, you think about? Well, it is something that, and again, like the peer pressure to join the film industry. There's also the peer <laughs> pressure for me to direct. When am I going to direct? Mitch Davis is obsessed with this idea, who is the creative director of Fantasia Film Festival. What I want to do is that I'm working on my studio, Black Mansion, which it like, the name kind of came up when I was in a cab with Jen in LA because we needed to like, what is the name of my thing? Or when we were talking about like certain movies, it's like, which should be under, it should, you should have like a name of something. And I said, if I had uh, enough money, I would love to have sort of like an eternal Halloween house. That would be like a black Victorian mansion. And that's where black mansion uh, came. And I have a whole bunch of uh, movies and directors and stories and IP under that. I would like to create this infrastructure and uh, sort of um, financing infrastructure so everyone can get their films made. So we can have platform new voices out in the world for real, for reals. And it's the idea of like at the end of the show when everyone gets on stage and gets to sing together, I would like to give my access to these people so they have that ad access. So when that is done, when at least like that foundation is done, I may ponder ever directing. But my interest has always been as it was like in uh, in advertising world, like creative director, creative lead and producer in this world, it is like the architect. I like the architect. I like to work with other groups. I like to have problem solving. I like to support people's artists and visions. And I think the world needs more of that. 
And so I would like to be the thing in the world to look at your crazy movie to, to like that you're sort of someone who maybe doesn't fit the mold and has something that's fucking awesome. And for me to support it with the things that I have. And to me, that is an act of transgression and subversion is to change the world to make it look like us. Before we started rolling, Heather, we were talking about your work, your effects work. I believe you said you were the effects supervisor on We Are Still Here. Yes, I was the supervisor. We are still here, which means that I broke down the script and I made sure that all the the FX people were just were just getting stuff done every day and sitting with the the second AD. The challenge of that was is that we were doing practical effects in the middle of the day in the winter, which means like you have very okay when you make huge budget films, and we know this because I have archived like a billion of them, is that you you could keep going again and again. You have extras and things like that. So if like that one head's not going to explode, we got five other heads. For here, like you got one Larry head to stick a poker <laughs> through. Sorry, spoilers. And so you have to sort of like get your shot right, do it a few times, make sure the testing is good. And so in my breakdowns, I would go like, this is this is the scene. This is how it's done. This is like the magic behind it, like how the rigs work and stuff like that. And how many times we think we could do it before like we this this prop is this this prop is to play. And so that's a lot of stuff that I did. So it was a lot of like management and time management and talking to the second AD of what we're trying to achieve each day. And we made sure that all these practical effects in the middle of the day got done on time and on budget. And it actually happened. We were never the late team. We were always there. We pulled everything off you know, just based on sort of being organized and a lot of, uh, and a lot of communication, which I did like, you know, running departments and advertising. I have yet to work on a film that's as expensive as the advertising budgets I was in charge of. <laughs> one day, one day, we'll like work with like Chaser Citizens Bank money. Right. While we're talking about like punk rock and emo, Jade Wade McNeil from Alexis on Fire doing some music on the Ranger. Like that's pretty dope. How did that come about? Well, I just had that story because uh, it was like the Sam Zimmerman from Shudder and Fangoria World was like, oh, wow. Hang out with some weight so she could talk about the or that origin story. That yeah. Villain. I mean, it's, it's Sam knew knew him and and connected us. And I sent him and his um, partner, Andrew, the script and they dug it and then they started creating music uh and they were awesome to work with i actually didn't meet them in person until we had our south by premiere we were just doing everything uh remotely and this was pre-covid um but they were in canada and i was in new york he totally got the vibe like immediately and it was just a very a pleasure to work on it with them well speaking of working with people jen chloe levine plays chelsea the lead character in the ranger you worked with her also uh, in Depraved, uh, directed by Larry Fessenden. You were a producer on Depraved, and you're working with Chloe Levine again in The Sacrifice Game. I was wondering, what is it about working with Chloe that you like so much, obviously? During The Ranger, Chloe became, like, we just really clicked, and we became very, she became one of my best friends um, in after The Ranger. And, uh, and you know, you want to work with your friends, and uh, you become you become inspired by your friends. And when in rewriting, well, I, cause I had read, written the original script in 2013 in doing the draft that I was then like, okay, I want this to be the next movie. 
I imagine Chloe for one of the roles. And it was very exciting when we got to, you know, when the movie went and we were able to make that a reality. And by the way, she's fucking great. Can't say much, but she's great in the sacrifice game. And because we, we, you know, we're all working under this glass eye picks umbrella with Depraved as well, the ranger and Depraved, Larry got to know Chloe too. And Larry wanted to cast her in Depraved. And I mean, it's just, we're in this filmmaking community. We all know each other. We're all friends and we love Chloe and we all think that she's a superstar and we want to work with her all the time. How did you end up casting Jeremy Holm as the titular ranger? Because he also is amazing. And I wasn't that, I wasn't really familiar. I know he um, was at House of Cards. The show yeah. that he was on. I've never seen that show, but he just immediately, I was like, wait a minute, how do I know this guy? And I didn't really, but he just has that kind of presence in the film. So Jeremy, and he's also in Mr. Robot. So I had watched House of Cards and Mr. Robot. So I was very much like a, a Jeremy home fan already. And then Jocko, my co-writer on The Ranger, uh, it turns out they knew each other because they had worked in a restaurant together years before. And Jocko was like, this is who I'm picturing for The Ranger. And I was like, oh my God, yes, I love him. He's perfect. He's amazing. So anyway, we went out to lunch with him and his manager and uh, we he read the script and he liked it and wanted to do it. And Jeremy is so awesome. I love Jeremy so much. I want to make every movie that I can with Jeremy. Unfortunately, in the sacrifice game, there wasn't a role for him because it takes place at an all girls boarding school. And so there were, there were no Jeremy home <laughs> roles in the sacrifice game. But I'm really excited for when I get to make another movie with him. Could we be crazy and talk about his cutscene, or is that too crazy? His what? His uh, because there is two versions of the wolf scene. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. I didn't know Let's that. Go. I'd Let's love go. to talk about that. Yeah. Let's go. Do we want to talk about that? We don't have to talk about it if we don't want to talk about that. You talk about it. I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So while we were doing the the wolf scene in the uh, in the basement, the one cut that we sort of like not fought over, but like internally, it's like, oh, is this, is this the tone of the film or not tone of the film? Jeremy Holmes is very interested and loves Ted Levine's performance and Silence of the Lambs. And so he gave Nailed us it. a version of the basement wolf scene where he was like full Harvey Keitel and Bad Lieutenant. And we were like, can we put it in? Not, that's how like game Jeremy is. It's like, we need to do this. Like he pressured us. He was like, no, this is what my characters <laughs> do. I have to do this. And I remember wow. it, I remember it happening. And then he went downstairs and sort of they created this great performance. But his game, when he first came on the, the, the picture, I did not know like why he wanted to play this uh, role so much. And I went, of course, because he's a villain actor. And you can't keep a villain actor around like a role like that. It's so exciting. Like a, like a, an acquaintance of mine, like Michael Ironside is the same way. Like if you got a good I, villain role, it's like, oh yes, what I, what I, mm. what I need to do. But I too, and everything that I do in life, would of course like to work with Jeremy. He's incredibly supportive on set. He was very supportive of Jen, which is always awesome to hear. He's hilarious. When we used to drive back and forth to set, I used to pretend I was a serial killer with him and tell like horrible <laughs> stories and frighten everyone in the back. Back. That's when I had like my beat up uh, Pontiac Sunfire with the big dent in the side that everyone was afraid it would fall apart. As of two years ago, it has turned into ash and dust that I've had to get a new car. <laughs> but we had a true punk rock car that we were driving back and forth to uh, the set. 
the 2000s. And to come full circle in terms of like, I don't know, we all love each other. Jeremy is now in Ted Gagan's new movie, which will be playing at South by, as is Larry. And that's the the true soul of, of, I think, you know, you work for Glass Eye. I worked under Glass Eye to do the Ranger. But there is that ethos is that we all play different positions and we all help each other on their on our vis- on the visions. Like it truly is a bigger ensemble feeling when it comes to the independent film community, which I think we talked about at the beginning of the episode. But that is very interesting because right. Ed worked on We Are Still Here. I worked on We Are Still Here. Jeremy worked on The Ranger. Now Jeremy works on his movie. Larry also worked on We Are We Are Still Here. I tell people that we want everyone to succeed so we can continue to going to every single film fest and be at every single film film fest party together until the end of time. So that's why we all have to be successful because we all have to party together. And we want to have all of you on our shows and we want to eventually party together with you. That's exactly (laughs) what we're doing. Walk together. (laughs) Why can't we rock together? Like this. Jen, you started um, at fear.net, right? Fearnet, yeah. Fearnet. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and and you did marketing for Fearnet. I did, yes. Do you think that that rated you for moving forward, marketing yourself as a filmmaker? Interesting. Uh, Probably, yes. Um, What I can say for sure is that it made me realize I wanted to work in this horror community forever. Like I loved working at Fearnet so much. I loved all the people that I got to work with. I loved going to like... We would go to conventions. We would go to like Comic-Con and have a booth there and and talk about to people about FearNet. We would get to meet filmmakers who had movies on FearNet. They'd come into the office. So I just like, I became very aware of the horror industry through that. And when I was working there, I met a director named Drew Daywalt who uh, helped me direct my, I mean, he produced the first short film that I directed and kind of like sent me on my way to here's how you do this. And I discovered glass eye picks while working there. So Fearnet was very influential to what would be the next, you know, however many years of my life. Um, in terms of marketing myself, I'll say, I think I'm really bad at it. I hate using social media. I hate, you know, it's social media is addicting and I hate the feeling of like falling into the, the tunnel vision of it. So sometimes I just completely avoid it and I could probably do a better job at marketing myself. So I don't know about that, but it was definitely influential to my wanting to work in horror. Well, thank you guys so much. I I, I do want to just ask one more question, Jen. You've talked about not being uh, someone who approaches film in a clinically logical way, but you've talked about being a much more emotionally logical thinker when it comes to film. What, what does that mean to you that the emotional logic is what matters more to you than the clinical logic when you're approaching film? And is that something that you would apply to the sacrifice game? Yeah, I think I did that in the sacrifice game too. Um, emotionally, it means a lot of things. I think maybe when I said that before, I was talking about editing specifically or post-production um, because I would much rather go for a moment, even if there's a continuity error, if it makes sense emotionally, I'll be like, well, I don't give a fuck about the continuity error, whatever. If you're paying attention to the continuity error, then I guess the movie's not working for you. Sorry. So I would rather use like a certain performance or whatever if it hits the emotional beat. 
successfully, even if some, whatever the lighting or something isn't working seamlessly. Um, and then also I like to just, in terms of approaching filmmaking, I try to think about everything emotionally, you know, how do we, what's the right shot for this? Well, what makes sense emotionally for the character? Whose perspective are we in? That is gonna, if you, cause you could, I mean, there's a million ways to shoot a scene. So as a way to, um, to deal with the overwhelm of it could be this or it could be this, the way that my rule is what makes sense emotionally for our POV character. That's how we should approach the scene. Makes sense. I think Darling nails everything you just said. That's Darling. Yeah, and that's all Mickey. That's Mickey Keating killing it as, you know. Uh, and by the way, like I learned how to direct from producing and being around directors. And I learned from the directors that I worked with. So but yeah, Darling is awesome. And Mickey killed it on that. So I'm getting the sense that we don't we don't even have an estimated time when we might hear about the sacrifice game. We're not even at, we're not done with, with post-production yet. So you're not, we're not at the like submitting to film festival stage or, or anything like that. Is that right? Post is, um, will be done soon. It's kind of a, yeah, we, we don't know. We don't know the release date yet. What we can share, which is already out there is that it's with shutter. Shutter is our distributor. So, oh, great. Okay. Yes. Okay. So they'll tell the world when the yeah. world is ready for sacrifice game. Awesome. Well, we're, we're a very excited Heather Buckley and Jen Wexler. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us, Trent and Kevin. It's a, a real thrill to talk to both of you. Uh, we can't wait to see more work from each of you. Check out The Ranger. Check out Glass Eye Picks. Check out We Are Still Here. Everything that we've talked about is available streaming on different platforms. You can see it all, and I would encourage everybody to do so. We're going to all become Facebook friends. and Okay. I follow, Well, I'm already stalking you guys on Twitter. Thank you for stalking. <laughs> I call it research, but if I wasn't doing a podcast, it would be. That's the cool well, thing. I tell people some of my DVD supplement work looks like stalking. Because if I can't talk to my friend who's a hacker looks up like public record search or voting. <laughs> that's great. I talk about that on podcast, but we all do that to try to find someone. They think they could make an obscure movie in the 70s and will not find them. It's like, we'll find like... you to talk about stupid movie. Like, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, it's so cool that you like – have the movie playing while we're talking because it really just like puts you into the vibe. <laughs> well, uh, thank you all. Let thank you guys. Back. All right, all right. We'll let you go. Have a great night, you guys. Thank Bye, you guys. So Hopefully, we'll see you. We'll see you again sometime.